rocketed from a distant planet to a bold new destiny on Earth. Found by a Kansas family and raised as Clark Kent, he learned he possessed the strength of steel, the speed of light, and the desire to help all mankind. He is Superboy. everybody welcome to episode 195 of the man of screen podcast i am your host mike zumo and this episode i am beginning the final leg of my coverage of the salt kind produced adventures of superboy with the beginning of season four the uh two-part episode change of heart season four is notable in not only being the last season of the show but it's also the first season not to have any wholesale changes to the show for those of you who remember at the end of season one the entire show was retold which included key recastings uh not limited to the replacement of john hames newton with gerard christopher as clark kent and superboy in the title role but also they swapped out the character of tj white with andy McAllister, saying goodbye to jim calvert and hello to elon mitchell smith and then season three saw another overhaul of the show Yes, uh, Gerard Christopher remained as Clark Kent and Superboy, but the main setting of the show was moved from the Schuster University campus to the Bureau of Extra Normal Matters, and Season 4 is going to pick up the format right where Season 3 left off. It's going to maintain the uh, darker look and feel of the third season, and there will be a couple of uh, key guest appearances a couple weeks down the road. I'll talk about the episode Paranoia, which... Guest starred Noel Neal and Jack Larson, famous for being Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen from the George Reeves Adventures of Superman. Noel Neal uh, played Lois even before that, as you remember, way back to the beginning of my coverage with the uh, 1948 Superman serial and the uh, 1950 serial Adam Man vs. Superman, which starred Kirk Allen before she uh, moved on to, to the George Reeves show. Again, the stories retained their mature nature from the third season and when i say mature i don't mean a bunch of f-bombs i mean more complex stories more sophisticated stories and there'll be an episode uh, a two-parter which i remember being very good to be human in which bizarre becomes human and then there is into the mystery in which a mystical ghostly woman leads superboy to his dying aunt's bedside and then there is the memorable know thine enemy two-parter which Featured Superboy living uh, Luthor's tortured memories. So, good stuff ahead, and much more in line with the third season, which, again, is a great thing for the show. And this, I'm not sure if this was meant to be the last season, but the two-part finale of the show, uh, Rites of Passage, definitely would be a, the end of that episode would definitely be a good time for Superboy to transition to Superman. So... That's really all I've got as a primer for season four. Before I get to the episodes at hand, I have feedback to address. Feedback here is from Dave McElvenny. Dave's writing in on Man of Screen episode 184, in which I talked about my favorite two-parter of the series, Roads Not Taken. Like I mentioned last week, too bad I couldn't, uh, I didn't address this letter last week when I did its sequel, Road to Hell. Anyway, anyway, Dave writes, greetings, Mike. Let me begin by saying that I loved your obvious enjoyment and enthusiasm for this two-part story. Even if someone just discovered this podcast and started listening to this episode, they could tell how much fun you had re-watching and talking about a well-remembered story from your youth. My exposure to alternate worlds came before you were born, Flash of Two Worlds, 1961, well before I was born, and sooner in my life, I was five. But like you, I have a real soft spot for this for that kind of story. I think many people do. Even kids, and certainly adults, often wonder, how would things be different if? And writers who pursue that thought often produce classics, Dickens, A Christmas Carol, the movie It's a Wonderful Life, the classic Star Trek episode Mirror Mirror, which led to follow-up episodes and other Trek series, and I think Road's Not Taken is, in its own right, a classic Superboy story. It was fun to see Darla as the instigator for the action because we've seen before in The Bride of Bizarro, when she knew what kind of bride Bizarro would want, that she's not just an empty-headed bimbo. 
Sure, it was Lex who went through the portal, but it's clearly implied in part one. He doesn't necessarily plan to return to his home universe. So, if it weren't for Darla, Superboy wouldn't have gone through the portal. Uh, road not taken, right there. It was interesting to see the two different alternate versions of Superboy, both of them bad. One who snapped and killed Luthor, justifiably so, some would say, sending him onto a darker path, but eventually redeemed. Another corrupted by his upbringing, but justifying his actions as being for, for a greater good, giving the world order and prosperity. The Sovereign seems so far along his path that he can't even understand what he's done wrong and why everyone doesn't like him. Even the good Superboy can't seem to redeem him, and only his death might resolve the problem he's caused. The Superboy who killed Luthor may have been saved eventually by his nature, which was nurtured by the Kents, but the Sovereign seems doomed by his corrupted nurture. So much to think about in this story. Thanks for the excellent for the excellent episode, and I'm looking forward to your coverage of The Road to Hell later in the season. Live long and prosper, Dave McElvenny. And it'll be interesting once uh, the Road to Hell episode finally uh, hits the podcast feed. It hasn't at this point, as it's still weeks away. But uh, for me, as I record this on New Year's Eve. But uh, to the future people, I hope 2021 is better than 2020 is. I've still got about three and a half hours to go. So I'm really interested in Dave's take on the dynamic between Lex and Darla, being that Darla seems much more in charge early on before Lex starts to... uh, assert himself more in the as he gains confidence so anyway uh on to dave's uh letter uh yeah dave uh, definitely did come to alternate world much sooner than i did and and much earlier in life i believe i was 10 even 9 or 10 when roads not taken aired yeah i was 10 when change of heart aired so if about a year before that so yeah i was probably close to turning 10 when roads not taken was aired so yeah i mean I really hadn't had much exposure to, had any exposure really toward alternate worlds. If I did, I didn't really remember it. And uh, yeah, I think certainly adults often wonder how things would be different if, uh, especially when you look back on something uh, not that fondly, or if you have any kind of regret, you know. I I mean, I often wonder in my life now, like, what would happen if I had done this instead of this? But then, you know, when you think about it, every decision you've made leads you to the point that you're at, and there are... Things that I have now, mainly my two daughters, that I would not want to not have. So there is no telling, you know, if those changes would have been for the better or not. So just, but it's one of those things we all ponder. Yes, I agree. It was fun to see Darla as the instigator for the action, which she was again in Road to Hell. She's not as uh, empty headed as Lex likes to think. And yeah, Superboy would not have gone through the portal, even known about it if it wasn't for Darla. And yeah, I, I definitely don't think Lex was uh, planning to return to his home universe. And I'm not sure he knew which universe he was going to, but he just seemed to kind of luck out with the one that he wound up in. And and it's definitely interesting to see the two different alternate versions of Superboy. Although I hesitate to call the the one we saw in the first parallel universe, I hesitate to call him bad. Yes, he snapped and killed Luthor, and he shouldn't have done that. I'm not going to defend that. And I'm not. Sh- and I said before during the episode, if that one action was enough to send this world into the, the tailspin that we saw that it went in. You know, this world seemed to have be rotten to the core and have problems far beyond Lex Luthor and Superboy's actions. So I'm not sure. I wouldn't call him bad. He's still him. He still cares. But again, he feels guilty. Maybe he doesn't trust himself. Maybe he's lost hope. But I definitely hesitate to call the first alternate Superboy bad. The Sovereign, however, is evil. There's no two ways about that, you know. Whatever good nature he had, and which Superboy was nurtured by the Kents, the uh, nurture from old man Elman definitely corrupted him. And, you know, there are some writers who deal in parallel universes, stories, and that say the person is the same at their core, no matter the universe, just the circumstances of their lives that make them different. I just couldn't see something like that with the Superboy. His corrupted nurture overtook his nature. So, yes, Dave is right. There is so much to think about in that story. And there's so much to think about in a bunch of these stories. There's a lot to think about in The Road to Hell, which I talked about last week. So These are not just, even though it could be construed as a kid's show, there's a lot to think about in these episodes. And there's some to think about in A Change of Heart as well. So let's get to that. Let me take a quick break. I'll play a podcast promo. And when I come back, Change of Heart, part one. Hang around, folks. Hi, I'm John Wilson. 
And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast, Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on our mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it. And now we're going to do it, too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. <laughs> it's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock and the Infinity Watch TV show, Make Ours Marvel. All right, welcome back, folks. Change of Heart, Part 1. Original broadcast date was October 6th, 1991. Directed by David Nutter. Written by Paul Steubenrock. And it's the same writing and directing team for both episodes. Guest cast included Michael DeBars as Adam Varell. We're going to see him again uh, in the second episode of Season 2 of Lois and Clark. He plays the villain Lenny Stoke in Wall of Sound. Bill Mummy as Tommy Puck. Mummy is uh, best remembered probably from when he was a child. He was... Uh, Little Will Robinson in the original ser- version of Lost in Space. I best remember him, however, as Lanier on Babylon 5. He was the uh, Minbari aide to uh, Ambassador Delenn, who went on to marry the eventual president president of the Interstellar Alliance, uh, John Sheridan. Uh, there was a bit of a love triangle there, and uh, Mumi's character came to a bit of a tragic end, which showed a ton of growth over, over that series. If you saw him... When he, uh, if you've seen Babylon 5, you know. If you haven't, if you see him, if you ever watch a show and see him where he started in the first season, it's quite striking to where he ends up at the end of the fifth. Anyway, Carla Caps is uh, Deanna. We saw Carla Caps uh, in the uh, finale of season three. She was uh, the actress Serena Smith, the uh, woman who uh, had the uh, telephone pole drop on her in uh, the first part of Road to Hell. Didn't really uh, notice her that much in uh, the Road to Hell beyond that. Uh, she, Deanna is Tommy's girlfriend, although she's never named in the episode. So I'm not sure where IMDb got the name of Deanna, but I didn't hear her name mentioned. Frank Eugene Matthews Jr. as Ernie. That's the uh, blind newsman at the Bureau. Bill Cordell as Dr. Conley. Jim McDonald as Lieutenant Walker. We've seen McDonald before as General Swan in Super Menace, back from season two. Dan Fitzgerald as the mayor. Jay Glick as the priest. Kathy Poling as the smiling woman. Robert Reynolds as the security guard. Danny Hainman as the prison guard. Bob Norris as the man. Dennis Neal as reporter number one. And Trisha Jean Matthews as reporter number two. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. A video monitor on top of a building activates as a priest walks by. On it, a woman utters a message of positivity. A moment after watching the message, the priest attacks an ice cream man and sends the baby carriages rolling onto the street. Superboy arrives to stop a passing car before it hits one of them. He's confused to discover that the priest was responsible. At the Bureau, Clark and Matt discuss the incident when Lana walks in. You see today's paper? Another person went berserk, this time a priest. Something weird is definitely going on in the city. What kind of city would it be if there wasn't? Are you okay? Did you have an accident or something? No, why? Isn't that the same dress you left in last night? Uh, well, we went out dancing and watched the sun come up. That's about it. You and Adam? Mm-hmm. Could I get a pack of gum, Ernie? We spend a lot of time together. Hey, lighten up, Clark. How often does a girl get to date the city's wealthiest, most eligible bachelor? Did you see this? This priest shoved these babies in the street. Superboy saved him. Pretty incredible, huh? Clark, I haven't betrayed Superboy. There she is. 
the only surviving victim of Tommy Puck's rampage of terror. What are your reactions to this morning's news? What news? Have you spoken with Superboy? He must be furious to know the man who taunted him for weeks while he tried to find him, then nearly killed him, will soon be free. What are you talking about? Tommy Puck. He's just been given a full pardon. He's being released from prison this morning, a free man. Oh, is that all you have to say? You were surrounded by death for nearly a week, trapped by a maniacal mad scientist. Isn't there something about the man that left an impression? Please, I, I can't talk right now. You watched as he tortured those people, mercilessly probing their brains with electrodes, performing experiments only his twisted mind could understand. The public wants to know what kind of man could do that. Clark overhears this and goes to the prison of Superboy. What are you up to? Nothing. Why would they give you a pardon? Because I'm dying. So what happened, Puck? Well, they offered to reconsider my sentence if I took part in an experiment. And you know how I love a good experiment. What kind of experiment? Superboy. We injected him with a deadly virus. Then we gave him an experimental antidote. Didn't work. It's tragic. But who knows how many lives will benefit from his sacrifice. But still, how can they allow him to walk the streets after what he's done to all those people? I spent a lot of time with Tommy, trying to figure him out. He was a brilliant scientist. But his fascination with death proved to be his downfall. Other people's death. Apparently the thought of his own has changed him. I think you'll find he's not the same man you once knew. Well, thanks for everything. Sorry if I caused you any trouble. I'm going to keep an eye on him. Good. He's going to need it. I'm afraid that this Tommy may not be entirely prepared for the harsh realities of this world. Bye, guys. Did it, Tommy. You fooled him. So what's next? Are we going to uh, round up a few more guinea pigs? What's the plan? I'm going to make amends. Back at the bureau, Lana receives flowers from Varel. Adam? Mm-hmm. You're the envy of every woman in the city. <laughs> Enjoy it. Looks like it's getting serious. Someone's paying me a little attention. Is that so wrong? I mean, how many nights do I have to sit home alone waiting? Superboy knows where I am. Can't wait forever. I didn't mean anything by it. I'm sorry. I don't know what it is. I've been cranky lately. I just want you to be happy for me. If you're happy, I'm happy. And what do you say we get to work on that psycho priest? Okay. Then I have to leave early this afternoon. Adam's taking me to the opening ceremonies for the centennial tonight. But you're supposed to go with me. Oh, I'm sorry, Clark, I forgot. But do you understand? I mean, it's a date. I understand. During the ceremony, the, the capital city mayor activates another monitor, now featuring Varel, who calls the system Varel Vision. The real Varel then steps up to the podium and says a few words to the guests. A moment later, the mayor takes a gun from a cop working security and begins firing it recklessly. Clark changes to Superboy and restrains the man. The monitor delivers another subliminal message, and everyone goes berserk. Superboy blows water from a nearby fountain onto the crowd, snapping them out of their antics. Later, Superboy is introduced to Varel. Any idea what caused this? I was hoping you'd have some suggestions. Well, it's stress, isn't it? City life tends to bottle people up. That's why I had the screens put up. It, uh, it reminds people of who they are. Uh, Superboy, this is Adam Varel. How do you do? My pleasure. Lana's told me so much about you. Has she? Indeed she has. However, I think you should keep your eyes on this one. Otherwise, she's going to be scooped out from under your nose. Well, I guess that's up to her. Listen, tomorrow afternoon we're having the Citizens Award luncheon. It's part of the week-long centennial celebration. I was wondering, could you come down and say a few words to Capital City for us? I'd be happy to. Terrific. Beautiful necklace. It's been my pleasure. Oh, uh, Superboy, wait. What's wrong? Um, it's nothing. I think I sprained my ankle. Well, I don't think it's broken, but you should see a doctor. I'll take you. I can drive her. No, really, it's okay. I insist. Superboy, we need you. We've got another Crazo. A housewife in a mini-mall. What's happening to this city? Go ahead. I'll make sure she gets to the hospital. I'm sorry. 
Well, he's incredible, isn't he? All those powers. No wonder you're so smitten. Sort of puts an ordinary man like me to shame, doesn't it? Well, there's something to be said for ordinary. Back at his lair, Pharrell sees Puck waiting for him. What do you mean you want out of the deal? My priorities have changed now that I'm dying. Ah, well, tis death that makes life live. Gives it whatever significance. Robert Browning. I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Nobody really knows what happens when you go. Mm. I mean, anything could be out there, even God. And what if, just what if that's it? What if God is waiting for me? Tommy, I think you're overreacting. So, I mean, you tortured a couple of people to death. <laughs> 47. 47, 48. Listen, the important thing is, Tommy, that you're putting that knowledge to work for us. No, the important thing is I use the time that I have left to make amends. <laughs> Do you know who you're talking to? Don't you remember that night, that drunken stupor you were in, and you told me about those experiments that you'd like to make on people, and I offered to give you Capital City as one giant lab rat? I no longer am interested in that. Oh, you're no longer interested in that, Tony. We're two of a kind. You like to experiment on people's bodies. I like to mess with their minds. Show them their true nature. That they are indeed scum of the earth. Together we are one hell of a team, Tommy. Will you just stop it, all right? I don't want to do that anymore. And the girl. Remember the girl, Tommy? The one you wanted to keep till last? And Superboy came in and ruined everything. Do you remember her? Lana. Lana. She's yours. Keep your end of the bargain. I will get rid of Superboy. And all you have to do. Is finish this? It's all here. All your research into electrical brain emissions. All I need you to do, Tommy, is intensified. Will you do that? Those people, the priest, the mayor. Yes, well, I played around with it for a while, but I'm not a scientist. I'm certainly not you, am I? <laughs> it was taking too long, Tommy. Now, do we have an agreement? Or am I going to have to get nasty? While Superboy is at the city jail interviewing the mayor, He's summoned to a studio by Puck. I must speak with Superboy. There's a terrible, a terrible evil in your midst. An evil that you must fight. It's him. It's him. He knew what I was going to do and he stopped me. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. Tommy, it is only a power failure. No, it's him. He's probably on his way here right now. What's going on? Uh, Superboy. What do you want? You're in great danger. From what? Not from what, from who? Adam Varel. Adam Varel? And why should I believe you? Look, I gotta get out of here. But you have to believe me. Anyone that comes in contact with him is in terrible danger. Wait a minute! Lana. At the convention center, Varel slips a drug into Lana's drink, then steps away. Superboy arrives and finds her on the floor unconscious. Varel sees this and alerts security. Put her down. I have to get her to a hospital. I'm a doctor. Bring her over here. Clear the table, please. She's dead. No! Let Hercules himself have his way. The cat will mew. And the dog will have his day. All right, so this is a decent start to season four. I mean, this is not the greatest two-parter ever written. Of these shows, two-parter, this is probably solidly mediocre. Even though uh, the actor who plays Varel is uh, pretty memorable. And even though... I didn't recognize Bill Mummy when this show was on the air. Babylon 5 was still three years away at this point, and I didn't catch up to Babylon 5 until its fifth season, so it would be years still before I could pick Bill Mummy out of a crowd. 
Once I became familiar with Babylon 5, I seemed to be able to remember this episode well enough that I knew that Mumi was Tommy Buck. So being that this is the new season, there are some changes to the opening sequence. Not many. The uh, flying panels during the uh, narration are the same. And the um, montage adds a new title card for Lana, which we haven't seen yet. And some shot from Mind Games, uh, notably uh, Lana trying to shield herself from the beam that's about to fall on her before Superboy catches it. There's a flying shot from Superboy Lost and the shot of the meteor. But, and for the most part, though, many of the clips we see in the opening sequence are the same as season three. So, on to the episode. It starts off with Varel Vision, which it was dubbed Varel Vision from the very beginning. And it's promoting a clean city, and, you know, this priest seems to nod and agree with the cheerful message. and But he is rubbing his head a little bit, and he looks uncomfortable. So that's kind of the first clue that something's wrong. And then he gets an attitude with this ice cream man, you know, apparently he's taking too slow, uh, giving him his two scoops. And he just punches the guy into the river. And then he starts chasing people around, he's slapping them, he's pushing babies into traffic. You know, all those things that you wouldn't expect a man of the cloth to be doing. Although these days, who knows? Fortunately, Superboy saves the baby before it gets uh, hit by a car, and you see the priest kind of celebrating at the ice cream stand before Superboy approaches him. So uh, Clark is uh, commenting on the priest going berserk, and Matt and Clark see Lana do the uh, walk of shame into the office wearing the same outfit that she left working. Not good for him, Lana. Not good for him. Apparently, uh, she and her new boyfriend, Adam Varel, have, uh, although I'm not sure if we know it, Adam Varel, just yet at this point. I think we just know Adam. And we don't know that he's uh, the founder of Vision just yet. The message in the opening sequence was a woman uh, sending the message. But the media corners Lana immediately telling her that uh, Tommy Puck was given a full pardon. And Lana caught Lana completely off guard. I mean, she was half asleep when she arrived at the office. And she's awake now. And we know nothing about Tommy Puck. This is an adventure we did not see. You know, similar to... Uh, knickknack from season two but whatever happened must have been harrowing and it just seems like if they told this story uh on the show they wouldn't have been able to do it i mean tommy will confirm later that he killed 47 people so this would have been an absolutely harrowing episode if the writers told this story you know it's you know it's like knickknack from season two who was getting revenge the first time we saw him from an adventure we didn't see and even roads not taken which we talked about in Dave's letter at the beginning of this episode, the incident in which Superboy killed Luthor, while it did happen in our home universe, that wasn't an adventure we saw either. So it is clear that Superboy is having adventures that we're not seeing. Apparently the real gruesome stuff that Superboy has to deal with, we're not seeing because you can't show that on syndicated TV in 1990. So Puck was pardoned because he's dying, according to the uh, prison psychologist here, because Superboy went to the prison immediately to check this out. I mean, wouldn't you? Like, if this was as horrible as uh, it sounds. He uh, took part in an experiment, so he was injected with a virus. I don't think it was COVID-19. This episode was a little too early for that. And uh, the antidote didn't work. And apparently, uh, the prison psychiatrist, this is Dr. Conley, says the idea of his own impending death has changed Puck. And uh, Superboy says that he's still going to keep an eye on Tommy, nonetheless. So his girlfriend wants to know what Tommy's big plans are, and he says he's going to make amends for the crimes that he's committed, which is fine. You know, that's good. I don't think she's excited about his amend making, as uh, you would think. She seemed to be right up there with uh, criminal torturous Tommy. Apparently, she waited for him while he was in prison, so good on her. Don't know how long, how much, how long ago this happened, but, you know, but she waited for him, so there is that. Meanwhile, Lana is still freaking out over the release of Puck, and from what we've been told in the exposition about what happened to her at the hands of Tommy Buck, well, then she has a damn good reason for freaking out about this. She says that if not for Superboy, Puck would have experimented on her and ultimately killed her. So, yeah, Lana kind of went from being in the afterglow of her evening with Adam. I mean, they spent all night together, so you can leave the details to your own imagination, and uh, to being terrified, so... She's definitely riding the emotional wave in these few minutes here. So meanwhile, Adam has sent Lana a ton of flowers. Clark comments on how serious things look, and uh, she immediately bites his head off, putting uh, him on the defensive, which he didn't mean anything by it. I mean, she doesn't know that he's Superboy. 
And she apologizes for her crankiness and comments that she can't wait forever for Superboy. That's fair enough. To be honest, she shouldn't be waiting for him at all, unless she wants to. But if she's putting her life on hold, waiting for him to make a move, and if he's not going to, she has every right to move on with her life. Uh, But you can kind of tell she doesn't want to, even though she is. Because we're going to see later in the episode that she's still going to try to get Superboy alone, even though she's with Adam. So, But she does apologize for her crankiness, which, good on her. I mean, after what just happened, one, she's tired. Two, this Tommy Puck stuff has got her on edge. So she has every right to be cranky right now. So, although Clark is annoyed that she's going to this centennial event with Adam because he was supposed to, she was supposed to go with him. But you know, tough luck, Clark. This is a date with Adam, not you. So here's Adam. Like I said, we'll see this actor again in the second season of Lois and Clark. He's a villain there, too. So Adam uh, wants to get Frisky in the backseat of his limo. And, you know, why wouldn't he? And uh, she doesn't want to. And he asks if it has something to do with Superboy. Apparently, uh, he knows uh, that he and her have some history. He's lavishing her with gifts. It almost seems as though he's buying her affection. But maybe he is. Maybe he's not. Well, we know that he is. We know that he's got something up his sleeve because we know Adam is the villain of this piece. And one of my complaints about this episode, and it does kind of play into that trope, we very rarely see Lana date anybody, but she dated Seth, that karate instructor, the in the power of evil, I think that episode was called, and the evil force took control of him. Uh, in Micro Boy, the villain of that piece uh, stalked Lana, and just this is another example. So Lana's dating somebody who turns out to be the villain. So the show does easily fall into that trope where anyone Lana dates turns out to be the episode's villain. Which, And even though in the second season I really didn't care for the character of Dan Scardino, I did like the fact that they actually let Lois date someone who wasn't a villain. Can't say they wouldn't do that later, but they didn't do it there. So that was a good thing. So anyway, back to uh, Adam and Lana. Clark sees them here together for the first time. Apparently, this is the 100th anniversary of Capital City, and they're honoring Adam Varel. And here comes another one of those uh, Varel vision screens uh, before the mayor goes crazy and starts shooting up the party. Literally, he's uh, he got a gun from somewhere, and he's yelled, Take no prisoners! And is shooting in the air, shooting at council people who he doesn't agree with. Lots of bad juju here. Oh, and by the way, Adam has put up hundreds of those screens throughout the city, so... It seems like uh, quite the project. And if you notice the mayor, before he started shooting the gun off, he started twitching. So we knew something was wrong with him. So Superboy shows up, and now the screen's affecting everyone else, and the fight breaks out while Adam speaks on the screen. And uh, Superboy, uh, in order to stop the, um, I don't know if it's mind control or hypnotism, Superboy blows water onto the crowd, and that seems to bring them back into their right minds. And at this point, no one has any idea yet what the problem is or what's causing it. So now Superboy meets Adam, who advises Superboy to keep an eye on Lana before someone else scoops her up. And that's Adam kind of throwing down the gantlet here. Superboy uh, gives Lana the proper agency by saying, oh, that's up to her. And he's absolutely right. He says that's up to Lana, but he he's not going to move in on Lana here either. He's going to let Lana decide. I don't know if he's waiting for Lana to make a move or he's just not going to. I mean, although he knows he has feelings for her, if nothing's going to come of it, he should kind of just let her know. That way she's free to move on. I think Lana is holding on to the hope that they will get together at some point. So Adam offers Superboy a speaking gig at uh, something the next day. Lana makes an excuse to leave with Superboy, thinking she hurt her ankle, but Superboy is uh, called away by uh, Lieutenant Walker, I believe his name is, because a uh, housewife went crazy at a mini mall. So. We don't know how Lana gets away from Adam there, but we know uh, maybe she just tells him he's all right and moves on. But she faked an ankle injury to leave with Superboy, but it didn't work. Superboy had to leave. So here is Adam in his basement, and here is Puck waiting for him. He's come back to Adam, which means they've had some kind of prior deal. Or it sounds as though Adam was somehow involved in what Tommy was up to the last time he was out. It's unclear how much time has passed since then, but... This could be why Adam is dating Lana, to kind of serve her up to Tommy here. But Tommy wants out. You know, now that he's dying, he is concerned about what will happen after death. You know, I guess he wants to know what's waiting for him on the other side. 
I guess he fixed, he's heading downstairs and he's trying to score some points uh, before the end to get himself upstairs, which I don't think he's had much has much hope of that, being that he's tortured and killed 47 people. And Tommy knows exactly how many people he tortured and killed. You know, Adam is very nonchalant about it, but he's like, Tommy's like 47. I guess that's the kind of thing you would remember. But apparently Tommy is serious about making amends for his actions. I'm not sure what kind of amends he can make. There is nothing that can undo what he's done, but I guess he's trying. Adam was going to give Tommy all of Capital City to play with. That sounds ominous. And Adam likes to mess with people's minds and show them that they're scum. And to Adam, that makes them natural allies. That line, Adam says to Tommy, you like to experiment with people's bodies. I like to mess with their minds. That's a very memorable line. I've always remembered it. And apparently, uh, Tommy loved Lana to kill last, and uh, Adam will turn her over to him when he's done. So, apparently, Adam is providing Tommy with a machine that will intensify his screens. And this is what Adam is using to make people act outside their nature. Basically, what it's doing is, as this is said by Eddie in part two, is basically the machine is, is robbing people of their inhibitions, just making them do whatever they want. So now Superboy is questioning the mayor, and he just said in a moment everything went sour. That's probably when the inhibitions uh, fell down, and it's kind of scary that if the mayor has lost his inhibitions and he was actually thinking about shooting other council people, that is uh, that's a disturbing thought right there. So, although I kind of think maybe this guy's, I don't know, what do you think about this mayor? Do you think uh, his turn as mayor is done, despite the fact that Adam Varel is responsible for the way he acted at, at the Centennial? Are any of these people liable for what they've done? I guess this is the kind of thing you only have to worry about in uh, a superhero show. So now Tommy is on TV uh, warning Superboy of a terrible evil. You know, you can read this two ways if you don't know uh, how it's going to end. You can read it as either Puck being sincere and wanting to warn Superboy, or you can see it as Puck setting Superboy up. Adam making the power go out of the studio to keep Tommy from delivering the warning really can go both ways. So Superboy shows up at the studio and Puck warns him about Adam. But again, you don't know if this is a setup. And it even seems like it could be a setup with the way part one ends. But it seems as though Adam is taking advantage of the situation. So anyway, Adam is uh, popping champagne and there is obviously something to celebrate. And you see him drugging Lana's champagne. Obviously, she didn't see him drop a little powder in there. So here's Superboy showing up to the uh, speaking engagement. He uh, worried about what he heard at the studio. Demands to see Lana, who Adam tells her accepted his engagement proposal. So. So Superboy goes into the back, sees Lana laying on the ground, and uh, Adam comes out and says, he thinks Superboy killed her. And uh, conveniently, there's a doctor here and says Lana's dead, which maybe this guy's a doctor, but more likely he works for Adam. But Superboy is distraught as he kind of caresses Lana's head as we head into the end of part one. To be continued. So that's a decent start. You know, it leaves us, you know, as all two-parters do, it leaves us with more questions and fewer answers. We don't know if Tommy is genuine. We don't know what Adam's game is, other than that he likes to mess with people's minds. Is Lana dead? Probably not. She's a series regular. She's in the opening credits, so we doubt it. Lots of questions as we head into part two, which we'll discuss after this podcast promo break. Hang around, folks. You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see. You are about to see. Because you demanded it. It's Treasury Cast, a podcast devoted to the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition. DC, Marvel, Archie, IDW, and more, bigger than life. It's the Treasury Cast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, and on fireandwaterpodcast.com. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to finish things off with The Change of Heart, Part 2. Original broadcast date was October 13th, 1991. Directed by David Nutter. Written by Paul Steubenrock. Guest cast includes Michael DeBar as Adam Varell, Bill Mami as Tommy Puck, Carla Capps as Deanna, Frank Eugene Matthews Jr. as Ernie, Bill Cordell as Dr. Conley, Jim McDonald as Lieutenant Walker, Danny Hainman as the prison guard, Christopher Calvert as the gang leader, 
and Bob Sokoler as the newscaster. And now our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. Superboy, now in jail, is interrogated by investigators. Superboy, did you hear me? I'm sorry. We know you couldn't possibly have done what you're accused of, but we need to ask you a few questions. Of course. According to Adam Virrell's statement, you were highly agitated when you arrived at the ceremony. You went back to see a Miss Lana Lang. When he came to check on you, he found you holding her dead body. He's saying I killed her. How can you believe a man like him? What motive do I have? He suggested jealousy over his impending marriage to Miss Lang. Jealous of him? He's involved in this. I just don't know how yet. Mr. Verrill's a prominent citizen of Capital City. We can't just disregard his statement. But this can't simply be his word against mine. You must have evidence. We do. The coroner's report confirms Mr. Verrill's statement. Her lungs were completely collapsed, as if the air had been virtually sucked out of them by something superhuman. Which poses a problem for us. There are those who will demand justice. A trial. Of course. I expect to be treated like any other citizen. Then Varel Vision activates in the jail with a subliminal message from Varel. Out on the street, Puck makes a failed attempt to reach out to some common thugs to change their lives. Change your lives now while there's still time. Ask for forgiveness. It will be given. It's all here in this little brochure that I've prepared. How about this watch you're wearing? If I was to ask for it, would it be given? Or do I have to take it? Home now? So, Tommy, you still think they're going to embrace you with open arms? You murdered Lana, didn't you? You killed her and you framed Superboy for it. Everything I've done, I've done for you. You stay away from me. Oh, not so fast, Tommy. We have a deal. Not anymore, we don't. And I'm going to tell everyone what's going on. Do you think they're going to believe you, your word above mine? I'll go to the police. <laughs> yes, of course. You'll go to the police and you'll tell them that you've driven the city crazy with this machine of yours, that you're very, very sorry, and it'll never happen again. Is that what you're going to do? It doesn't matter. I won't help you anymore. It's over, Varel. <laughs> no, my friend. It's not over. It's the beginning. There, Puck discovered that Lana is alive and caged. She's alive? Hello, Tommy. See, I told you I was keeping her for you. How did you do it? Well, I gave her this drug that stopped her heart and her breathing long enough for me to get her out of the building. <laughs> What's the matter? Don't you watch Mission Impossible? That and the coroner is my new friend. He's an expensive new friend, but he's very worth it. However, it is rather ironic, isn't it, that the person that would fell the mighty Superboy is the one person that loved him the most. Turning into a good Jackie Collins novel, don't you think? I won't be a part of this. Well, then I'll have to fry your friend with a million volts. Choice is yours. Don't. At the jail, all the inmates are going crazy, and Superboy is about to escape, but changes his mind. At the Bureau, things get out of hand as the Pharrell Vision's subliminal messages take effect, as it does on the rest of Capital City. At Pharrell's lair, Puck's girlfriend attempts to seduce Pharrell to gain his trust. Citizens have been advised to stay indoors until the situation can be sorted out. More news as it becomes available. And the angel cried out, Babylon has fallen, has fallen that great city. It's working, Tommy. My dream is finally coming true. The slime of this city is being pointed out for the hypocrites that they really are right on the centennial. It's perfect. You're very enthusiastic about your work, aren't you? 
I'll bet you have your share of women friends. Being so strong and rich and all. I don't suppose with all those women that you'd have time for one more. Well, you do have the most alluring lips. I do. It'd be a shame to have to staple them shut. Let's try. What are we going to do? I guess I'll help now, Superboy. Meanwhile, Superboy sits helpless, restraining himself from using his powers in the name of justice as he sits in the chaotic jail. At Varel's lair, Puck tries to convince Lana that he's not the psychotic man that he used to be. Look, Lana, I, I know what you must think of me. I don't think so. I've done some horrible things, but, but I'm sorry for them. I'm not like that anymore. You think that's enough? You just say you're sorry and it's all better. Suddenly you're a different person? It doesn't work that way, excuse me. But I am different now. I mean, I am. Prove it. Get us the hell out of here. I mean, there's got to be some way to stop him. How is he doing it? What is making everyone go so crazy? Working like a charm, Tommy. The ladies' gardening club has taken over the city parks and they're taking pot shots at people walking through their begonias. I've never had so much fun. But you know, I would like you to increase the output. Could you do that for me? What are you talking about? With much more, people will start killing each other. Well, then that's bad. Don't make me do that. Don't make you do that. Well, I'm gonna have to make you do that, Tommy. You're a bad man. Superboy continues to simmer in jail until the jail's doctor comes around and in crazy stupor admits that there is a real cure to Puck's virus. Dr. Connolly! Superboy! You're still here? Oh, I thought you would have busted out hours ago. What's going on? I think it's the food. The stuff they serve in this place. It's enough to drive anybody nuts. <laughs> when do you go get the warden? Oh, the warden? <laughs> he was the first to go. And don't you start treating me like your little messenger boy. You owe me. How's that? If it wasn't for me, little Tommy Puck wouldn't be on death's door right now. I thought about giving him the real antidote instead of the placebo, but I just couldn't pass up the chance to experiment on him. Ironic, you know? <laughs> There's really a cure? Of course. But I prefer it this way. The, the electric chair is so impersonal, don't you think? You've got to give him the cure. What? You would save the life of your sworn enemy merely because he's a person? That's right. Superboy? <laughs> Super wimp. <laughs> Super wimp. <laughs> hey, where are you going? To save a man's life. Why you out? Could you uh, get me a six pack? Trying to prove himself to Lana, Puck tries to help them escape from Ralph's lair, but fails. Clark returns to the chaotic bureau and discovers that Ernie, the blind owner of the newspaper stand, is the only person not affected by Varel Vision's effects. Clark finally figures out that turning off Varel Vision stops the chaos and pulls the plug on the monitor in the hallway. Then everyone returns to normal. As Superboy, he goes around Capital City, disabling the screens until he's lured to Varel's lair by one of them. Superboy arrives as Puck is finishing Varel's weapon. He jumps into the path of the weapon as his last heroic act to save Superboy. Superboy, get out of here! He'll kill you! The heck with that, he'll kill us! He's got us wired with zillion volts! Apparently, you've been missing out on all the fun in Capital City. But not for long. No! What are you doing? If I'm dying, then I want to be remembered for this last selfless act. You're not dying. There's a cure. There is? So much for selfless acts. Well, now let's see what a superhero without his inhibitions looks like. 
Pharrell fires the weapon at Superboy, causing what seems to be a loss of inhibitions, until it turns out that Superboy fooled him. Pharrell then grabs a gun to shoot the girls, until Puck knocks it out of the way and sends Pharrell diving down an incinerator. With his newfound freedom, Puck leaves with his girlfriend. Hey, Puck! Where are you going? I'm going to get that cure. And then who knows? I'm a free man with a complete pardon. I want to be good, but there's so much about human nature I just don't understand, you know? There's so much to learn. Why do I get the feeling things have just taken a turn for the worse? All right, so there's not nearly as much to chew on in this part as the first. Mainly, this is the resolution to everything the first part set up. So Superboy is in jail. The uh, He is under arrest for killing Lana, and motive is his jealousy over the impending marriage to Adam Varel. The evidence, according to the coroner's report, is that her lungs were collapsed as though the air had been sucked out by something who was superhuman. And you can see the dejection on Superboy's face as he as that's read to him. And, you know, it just seems like flowery language for a coroner's report. You would think it would just be collapsed lungs. And eventually, a toxicology report would be standard operating procedure in a case like this, and eventually a real coroner would have found, if Lana was actually dead, found the uh, poison in her blood. So, Superboy submits to the law and is imprisoned, as the character would. He is for truth and justice. He will not make an exception for himself. And Walker does thank Superboy for cooperating. Uh, I mean, he knows Superboy can rip the, the jail door off the hinges and walk right out. But, you know, the cop is trying to reassure Superboy that everything will be fine. But, you know, Superboy has this feeling and he's worried that they won't. And as all this is happening, it seems uh, Adam has those TV screens of his everywhere. And uh, meanwhile, Tommy is bringing reform to the to the street gang. And he's robbed of his watch for his troubles. You know? Ask and you shall receive. Well, the uh, thug here asked and received Tommy's wristwatch. Not the uh, goal Tommy was going for. And meanwhile, uh, his girlfriend Deanna is still not having any fun. Although she does look like she's in uh, sexy flight attendant mode, just uh, from her outfit. Tommy still wants nothing to do with Adam and threatens to go to the police, which leads to some mocking from Adam. You know, Adam is taking nothing seriously. And he's not taking Tommy seriously in the least bit. He's not taking... Tommy's a desire to repent for his crime seriously. He knows that there's no way in hell that the police are going to believe uh, Puck over Adam. So he is literally worried about nothing. So and uh, Puck was uh, brought back to Adam's basement where we discover that Lana is there and she's caged like a parakeet. And this is where we learn the truth of what happened at the end of uh, part one. Apparently, uh, Adam has drugged Lana with the same stuff Bones gave Kirk in a mock time. The uh, first episode of season two of the original Star Trek, it simulates death and that, remember that sketchy coroner's report that I mentioned earlier? Well, Adam paid good money for that. And I like the way, he, you know, Michael DeBar delivered that, you know. Oh, yeah, the coroner's my new friend. He's an expensive friend, but I think it's worth it. <laughs> I just like the way he uh, way he said that. Yeah, so I guess the uh, marriage proposal to Lana is over. The engagement is over. Not that it really ever really went anywhere. So... Give still, Tommy wants no part of whatever Adam is doing, and uh, as incentive, Adam says he'll electrocute Lana, which gets Tommy to capitulate. Stacey Heideck has no dialogue in this scene, and she's doing it all with looks. And after he Adam threatens to, you know, electrocute uh, Lana, you could just see the daggers that she's staring at Adam. And I think you can also thank the makeup job for some of this. She does a good job uh, showing that she doesn't feel well. She looks a little pale, and uh, maybe she's still a little off from the drug, and she's not saying anything right now, and just doing it all with looks. Very good nonverbal acting. And even though she's not saying anything, she's bringing it. So Superboy gets the paper in jail, so at least he has something to read, and he hears a ton of commotion as the inmate next door is dancing with his bed sheets. Another is making monkey sounds, and this place looks like a madhouse all of a sudden. Superboy calls to the guard, who looks catatonic, and uh, he kind of, Superboy's thinking about getting out right here. He uh, starts to bend the bars and decides, you know what, I'm going to stay put for now. So here's Jackson at the bureau all of a sudden complaining about the temperature in the place, and when his secretary, you know, the secretary that we've never seen before, when she doesn't move, he yells at her, and uh, again, Varel Vision is on in the bureau as well, so 
Nobody has any inhibitions. Uh, Jackson is uh, not controlling his temper. And while I was waiting for the secretary to yell back, she responds by making out with him. No, I didn't see that coming. And uh, clearly from his body language, Jackson didn't either. And he's kind of standing there. She's got her, she's got her hands around his face and, uh, he's kind of waving his arms like, what the hell's going on? And now two of the women are all over him. I guess they like the boss. Like, you know, at least as all over him as they can be on a family show. Another coworker, I don't know what he did, but he gets slapped and pushed over a desk. Matt must not have watched the screen because he just comes in with his dumbfounded look on his face. Another scene here, no dialogue, but all his looks. He just comes in with this confused look on his face. And the scene ends with his mouth wide open. I'd love to know what he saw. I can't imagine what he saw. He probably saw more of Jackson's secretary than anyone at the office had ever seen before. So meanwhile, the uh, city has been going crazy for three days now. Tommy's girlfriend has now joined Lana in the birdcage. And she's going to try a new tactic. She's going, Tommy's girlfriend that is, uh, Deanna. She's going to speak uh, suggestively to Adam. And uh, she's hitting on him, probably in in an attempt to get herself out. And when Adam spurns her, she just hisses at him. You know, I I guess when Adam options, uh, he may as well hiss, I guess. Lana compliments her efforts, but their last hope is to wait for Superboy. That's Lana's uh, contribution to this. It almost seems as though she's given up. So, Superboy, meanwhile, still sitting in jail, just being the absolute picture of boredom. I know, pal, quarantine sucks. So, the next time we visit the basement, Tommy's in the birdcage. And now Tommy is trying to apologize to Lana and prove how different he is, and uh, Lana demands proof. And the only way to do that is to get everyone out of there. You know, you got to admire Tommy's effort here. How do you apologize for what Tommy Puck has done? Apparently, he has experimented on 47 people in front of Lana. Now, it's unclear if Lana saw him experiment on all 47 of these people. I think it was over the course of a week. 47 dead. How do you apologize for that? There's no way. So, meanwhile, Adam uh, just comes back. He just having enjoyed uh, watching the Garden Club ladies throw rocks at people who step on their flowers. I'm really not sure it would take much brainwashing to get the Garden Club ladies to do that under normal circumstances. You, uh... Step on some of those old lady flowers. They'll get vicious. They were a on those begonias. But meanwhile, Adam still wants to juice up the machine, but Tommy warns him. People will start killing each other. And Adam's like, yeah, so that's the point. Well, I guess life's cheap for the billionaire or millionaire. Don't actually know how uh, rich Adam actually is. I, guess, I think in 1991, millionaires were still considered rich. So meanwhile, uh, that little device Adam has that can electrocute the cage is getting him a lot of mileage. And a lot of work out of Tommy. So now here's the uh, prison psychiatrist, Dr. Conley, waving the keys in front of the prisoners. That's a good idea, especially with uh, guys that are being worked on by uh, Varel Vision. At least these guys haven't found their way out, so at least it's that. So Conley is clearly not in his right mind. He's still surprised Superboy is still there with us and figures out that he would have busted out hours ago. This guy is kind of acting like the Joker in a way, laughing at how the warden was the first to go and then... Joker Superboy owes him one because he gave Tommy the fake antidote, even though there is a real one. Apparently, I don't know if this is true. I mean, it is more difficult to lie when you're intoxicated. So could this guy be telling him the truth? Did he purposely give Tommy a fake antidote? I mean, this is, I'm not saying that to defend Tommy, but if you purposely gave somebody a virus and didn't, uh, and purposely gave them a fake antidote, I kind of wonder, wonder the ethics or... Whether or not that's a criminal act. And I seem to have misremembered this episode from when I was a kid. I thought that the virus was fake and that Puck wasn't sick like they said he was. It turns out that Puck does have a virus. He just needs to go out and find the cure because there isn't one. So a little bit of misremembering. I mean, it's been a long time, so there's that. So now here are Superboy's true colors. Knowing there's a cure for Tommy, that's enough to spur Superboy into action. I mean, he thinks Lana's dead, so he has no idea Lana is sitting in the birdcage waiting to be rescued. It's almost like he's given up. Like the death of Lana just taken whatever fight there was out of him. Apparently all this chaos that's going around is not enough. But because this prison psychologist purposely gave Tommy Puck a fake antidote, that's enough to get him to break out of jail. Not the chaos, the, cr- the criminal mastermind impending death. Okay. I mean, maybe he should have broken out before everything went batshit crazy in the police station. At that point, all bets were kind of off. Now, and apparently the guard is stuck at a tonic anymore because he asks where Superboy's going. 
he just hates to save his man's life, and you know he's fine with that. Just get him a six pack on your way back. Which I don't know, Chief. I don't think Superboy's coming back. At least not as a prisoner. So Tommy needs a Phillips screwdriver for the weapon he's developing, and then he nods at Lana. So apparently uh, something is afoot here. She starts talking uh, seductively to Adam and bites his lip. Tommy tries to take out Adam's uh, big henchman with a board and fails in spectacular fashion. So nice effort, but nothing. Now there's more mayhem at the bureau, and Matt is just sitting there like nothing is wrong. I don't, I don't know if Matt is just didn't see any Varel vision that day, or if Matt just what we see. He Matt just he's just sitting there among the chaos. Like he's waiting for something. So here's Clark walking in. Now, Ponty and Clark, uh, Jackson comes up and starts berating them both with kiss ups. And Matt, you know, very nonchalantly gets up, decks Jackson, and then nonchalantly looks back at Clark. Jackson is when Clark is asking Matt, are you okay? Matt gets up, punches Jackson in the face, says, Yeah, I'm fine. Why? It's a very weird exchange. And the look on Robert Levine's face as he spins around and falls, it looks like a blowfish with his cheeks puffed out. And Clark is just absolutely stunned. And then leaves Matt just and goes out to talk to Blind Ernie, and who tells Clark that everyone has lost their inhibitions. And now Ernie is not affected by the screens because he's blind. And that's when Clark kind of puts it together that it's something that they're seeing. There must be something in the picture that is hypnotizing these people into losing their inhibitions. The blind man sees better than anyone right now. There's something biblical about that. So Clark unplugs the TV, everyone returns to normal, and that's how he figures out what's wrong. And now it's off to the races. Here's Superboy flying. He flies through one screen. The screen just shatters. Superboy flies through it, and it's a cheesy effect, but it does the job. I don't know why he just flies through one of them. He flies, he could just fly, you think he would just kind of fly through all of them in one straight shot. But now nah, he uh, flies through one. I mean, it's a nice uh, shot to unveil him flying through the screens, but you know what? He can fly through them all. But no, he throws a park bench at another one. And back in the basement, the screen, the machine shows the screens that disappeared. And we learn that Adam can broadcast live on these screens as well. And he starts yelling at Superboy. He's about to throw a column at it. And there's Lana with Adam holding a gun on her. So the feed ends and Superboy takes out the screen. And uh, now Adam tests out Tommy's weapon on his henchman. And then he turns it on Tommy as Superboy arrives. So Tommy, who still thinks that he's dying, stands in front of Superboy to protect him. He wants to be remembered for this selfless act. Well, Tommy's selflessness ends as soon as Superboy tells him to secure. Oh, nope. Oh, back to being a criminal. Which I don't actually think that's the case. That's just me being a little glib because of what happens next. Adam shoots Superboy with the machine twice. And he's uh, throwing stuff around to the point where he gets to the wires and pulls the electricity away from the birdcage. So the, the girls are now safe from electrocution. <laughs> Superboy just holds the, holds his fooja. So Adam pulls an Uzi, and Tommy tackles him, and this is very weirdly choreographed. It seems as though Tommy tackles Adam, and then Adam just runs into the into the incinerator. You know, he, he kind of very conveniently pushed Adam toward the incinerator, and he just fell in. So much for him. I'm not sure Adam needed to end up with that kind of uh, end, but he does. We're not going to be seeing him anymore. He is barbecue. So now Superboy saves them both. Tommy's girlfriend hits on him for a moment until Puck kind of pushes her away. Almost if he's saying, sorry, Superboy, I'll take her out of here. Now, Puck wants to go find the cure, Superboy told him about it. You know, he wants to be good. He wants to be on the right side of the law, but there's so much to learn, which doesn't give leave Superboy with a good feeling. It's nice, too, that he wants to learn. They just wish he'd learn without mass murder being involved. Well, And Superboy doesn't leave with a good feeling, which is never built upon because we only see Tommy Puck one more time. And it's an interview segment in episode 19 or 20, Obituary for a Superhero. You know, it's weird seeing this actor as a villain. I just can't picture Bill Mummy as a villain. But he does give a little wave as the episode ends. Not a bad start to the season. I mean, the number of two-parters in this show really shows why this kind of show needs to be a full hour and not a half. There's just so much more Rufus story in a two-part episode than the typical 22-minute episode. So that takes care of that two-parter there'll be some more two-parters down the line next time two distinct episodes unfortunately when superboy faces off with the kryptonite kid and lana will discover an alien in the basement until then feedback's always welcome man screen at gmail.com 
If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Man of Screen Podcast in your third feed and the show should come up. Let's find the show on Twitter at Man of Screen Cast. And if you don't mind, uh, why don't you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts? That'll help others find the show. Until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.